want to, um, I, I know we sort of said we finished up the series last week, but we sort of finished up the leading lead up to this, uh, this one weekend. Uh, we spent 14 weeks studying the life of Jesus uh, based on Andy Stanley's series called 90, uh, just seeing what, the, what it would be like to follow Jesus from the time that he stepped on the banks of the Jordan River all the way up to the spot where he hung on a cross and rose from the dead. Uh, man, what an incredible, incredible thing. And so uh, tonight is kind of like the culmination of that, of that whole journey, and yet it's just the beginning. You know, as we've looked at what it looks like to follow Jesus, that was his call to us, that that would be our lives, not just a, not just a series, but where he's done things in your life over the last 14 weeks, and tonight that that would be something that profoundly changes us, because that is what uh, this event has done. It's an incredible and extraordinary event that has profound implications for our lives. And, uh, and so tonight, you know, I, I thought just as starting out, it, we, we have such a difficult time, maybe, maybe not we, I have sometimes have such a difficult time picturing what it, what it must have looked like and felt like because I'm so used to our North American culture and everything that uh, we experience here. I had a chat with CPAN the other night and he was sort of, uh, or the other day, just explaining a little bit of what it's like to live in, uh, in, in uh, his country where he came from and, and others who are still there and it's just so different than here and yet to go back 2,000 years ago, so, so different. And I thought if we could have just talked to Peter... And just asked him, on Saturday, you know, on Saturday night, Peter, tell us what you think, man. Tell us what you think. And I can just imagine that he would say things like, oh, it was like a roller coaster ride. You know, everything was, was these ups and then downs, but the last couple of days have just been like so fast. Thursday night, here we are just having dinner together. Thursday night, we're, we're having dinner with Jesus, and he starts saying all kinds of things that just seemed so strange to us. We knew he said strange things, but these were just so confusing. It was like he was telling us exactly what was going to happen, and yet it still felt like we didn't fully understand. New covenants, new commands, new examples. He's washing our feet. We don't know what's going on. Judas leaves, and later on we find out. Just a couple hours later, there we are. We're supposed to be praying in the garden. We're sleeping. Jesus is praying. And then Judas shows up. Judas <laughs> left, the tra- left the table just to betray us all. Here we were for once without a crowd around us to protect us. Their guards were stronger than the 12 of us. But they only arrested Jesus. You know, I had a sword. I, I tried to fight. I'm a fisherman. I'm not great with a sword. I, I cut off a guy's ear. And then Jesus again. Slow down, Peter. Hold on, Peter. Stop, Peter. Put the sword away, Peter. I'm like, we should all be fighting. We're fighting for you. And he's he's like, it's okay, Peter. They took him and he just willingly went with them. Willingly went with them. They took him to the high priest's house. I went along behind. I tried to get in, but I didn't know how to get in. But John, John got in. John knew somebody at the door. (laughs) He told me what happened after. They lied about him. One lie after another lie after another lie. The people who should have been living right, the holy people, the priests, set them up. One lie after another, and he just, he submitted to it. He didn't say a word. They convinced Pilate to crucify him because they knew they couldn't. And he didn't stop them. He thought maybe, maybe as he's walking out of Jerusalem, that something was going to change. Something had to change. This was God's Messiah, or so we thought. 
just couldn't believe it. I just couldn't believe it. Part of me hoped that when they mocked him on the cross, that he would just amaze us all just one more time. We had seen him do amazing things, that maybe he would perform one more miracle, one more miracle, and just come off the cross and give them the one more sign they were asking for. I could hear their voices. They said, you know, if you come off the cross, we'll believe in you. Just show us one more sign, Jesus. We'll believe in you. One more sign, one more sign, one more trick. It wasn't the first time we heard that, though. I remember three years ago when it all started and he was flipping tables in a temple. They said, show us a sign and we'll believe. You know, he healed that man's hand on the Sabbath day. And they're like, show us a sign and we'll follow you. He fed 4,000 people. And they wanted another sign, another miracle to prove that he was who he was. And I guess if that wasn't evidence enough, I guess they probably wouldn't have believed him this time either. And he didn't come down from that cross yesterday. Not alive anyways. He died with courage like he lived. He died with grace like he lived. He's hanging on a cross and he's, he's saying things like, Father, forgive people. He's saying things like, John, take care of my mom. And not even thinking about himself even in those last moments. But he wasn't supposed to die. We had hoped he was the Messiah. We hoped he was Israel's Savior. But that hope died yesterday too. The dream died. We'd given up a lot to follow this man. We gave up our careers. We gave up our family time. We gave up a lot. Life as we knew it. And now we're giving up hope. Giving up on a dream. We're just pretty much just giving up. Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, they pretty much sealed the deal when they sealed that tomb the other night. They put him in the tomb. They rolled that huge stone in front of him. No one's getting in there. No one's getting out. You know, it's just like he said that night. Yesterday afternoon, is hanging on the cross. It is finished. It's over. It's over. Do those sound like the words of a man who has rock-solid faith and trust in God? (laughs) Not really. Not really. See, See, we know the story. We see the sign. He's risen, but we forget the details of that moment that his greatest, his best friends, the closest ones following him, they didn't assume that this was going to happen. They did not expect that there was going to be a resurrection. Sunday morning, Peter wasn't organizing the fellas planning the first sunrise service. He wasn't there with the fellas saying, okay, fellas, we did the last supper. Now we're going to do the first breakfast. Get a different painter. That one made me look pale, but we got a painter ready to commemorate the moment. We're going to have the first breakfast. What an exciting moment. Well, there was no plans because they expected Jesus to do what we would expect any dead person to do. To stay dead. To stay dead. Why? Because they were normal people like you and I. Peter, Matthew, James, John, they were normal people like us. They expected him to stay dead. You know, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, they wrapped his body in 
in, uh, in grave clothes, grave wrappings. Why? Because they expected him to stay dead. They were entombing a dead body. The, women, <laughs> the next day, the women went to finish the job because I'm sure they thought two men can't do it. So they went the next day with spices to finish what the first guys had started in a hurry. And they brought spices to embalm a dead body. They weren't bringing bacon and eggs expecting Jesus to be alive. They never expected that. The closest followers did not expect that. John chapter 20, John tells us, he's an eyewitness of the events. He tells us that early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, is this the one Mary Magdalene? Yeah, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb. She found that the stone was rolled away from the entrance. She ran and she found Simon Peter and the other disciples, the ones whom Jesus loved. And she said this, they've taken the Lord's body out of the tomb and we don't know where they put him. She didn't look in the tomb and go, hey, he's gone. He must have rose from the dead. That's not her assumption. They, whoever they is, they took him. And they, they stole his body and they put him somewhere. We don't know who they is, but they didn't think that he rose from the dead. And a few other women were there later at the tomb and, and that they saw two angels who spoke to them. And for them, you just got to imagine, this has just been the craziest couple of days. And now, like, he's missing. But the angel said, listen, <laughs> they reminded him of what he said. And they said, he's risen. He's not here. He's, he's risen. And those women, they booked it back to the disciples who were cowering in an inner room, saying, knocking on the door, let us in, let us in. We got news. I'm like, what's the news? Jesus, he, he's alive. He's alive. He rose from the dead. That's why he's not in the tomb. Luke tells us after asking all of the eyewitnesses, saying, hey, tell me what really happened that morning. Here's what, they, here's what the eyewitnesses told them in Luke 24, verse 9. It says, they rushed back. The women rushed back from the tomb to tell the 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. It was Mary Magdalene. It was Joanna. It was Mary, the mother of James, and several other women who told the apostles what happened. He's not saying just some women. He's like, you know these women. They were the ones who hung around with Jesus. Every time the crowds followed Jesus, there were some that were close, and they knew uh, those are the ones who are with Jesus. He's like, those women, they're the ones who came, and they saw it. But his own disciples, it says in verse 11, the story sounded like nonsense to the men. So they didn't believe it. They're like, the women, they're just emotional. They're just so emotional. They They must not know what's going on. Man, they're just like, they're just babbling some nonsense. Nobody rises from the dead. What are they talking about? Come on, Mary, for real, you want us to believe this? Like, and obviously someone stole the body. Are you sure you even went to the right tomb? Maybe all those tears just clouded your vision and you thought you saw an angel. But they did not believe. See, we, we just think that, you know, oh, that's what it is. They thought it, was no- they thought it was nonsense. The same way we would think anyone else saying, uh, saying something we don't believe at all is just to be nonsense. However, verse 12, Peter, he jumped up and he ran to the tomb to look. Not all of them would go. They're afraid of being arrested. But he stooped when he got to the tomb and he saw that it was open and he peered in. And he saw the empty linen wrappings. He had been there. He saw, he saw Nicodemus and Joseph wrap those wrappings around a dead body. And now there they were. Why, did they just take the, why, why would they just leave the wrappings? What, why did they just take the body? And Peter didn't jump out of the tomb and go, He is risen! He is risen indeed! Now what does it say? He went home again. He's just wondering what happened. 
wondering what happened. And he wasn't the only one. A guy named Cleopas, another friend of Jesus, and his friend were walking home seven miles to Emmaus, where they lived, just can't believe that this whole movement had just ended. Their friend Jesus had died, and there Jesus appears to them. He walks with them, and they don't even realize it's Jesus walking with them, and they're telling them, Jesus, you don't understand. Like, they don't know it's Jesus. They're like, man, you don't understand what happened to this man named Jesus, and he explains everything to them. They have him over for dinner that night. He breaks the bread, and they recognize as he breaks the bread, probably see the scars or something, but the lights come on for them. They're like, oh, it's him, and then he disappears. They get back out in the night, and they run back to Jerusalem. They're banging on the door. We saw him. We saw him. He's alive. He's alive. But they found it difficult to believe. They found it difficult to trust. And it's interesting that the writers of the New Testament write that in. They write about how the, the, they had difficulty believing, difficulty believing in the resurrection, difficulty believing and trusting that, that God had actually done something brand new. Maybe you're here tonight or you know people they have a hard time trusting in this. <laughs> they have a hard time believing in God. Maybe it's the reason they left church. Maybe it's the reason you're like considering leaving. You know, you're like, I don't know if I, I don't know how can I even believe all this stuff. It just seems like nonsense. Maybe for you, you think God's some cruel being in the sky that messes with you. When things go right, you're just like, hey, I must have done something right. When things go wrong, it's like, God, why are you doing this to me? You know, maybe for you, it's like, you can't understand how God can allow pain and suffering on the planet. You're like, well, if there's really a God, how can he even allow pain and suffering to exist? Maybe you've heard things or read things in the Old Testament. You can't reconcile it. And you think, ah, I don't, I just don't, I don't know. I don't think I can trust in a God like that. Do you realize you have something in common with those early followers of Jesus, the best friends of Jesus? They wrote down the fact that they did not believe in Jesus. There was those moments where they did not trust in him find that interesting because if it was me, I'd be trying to make me look pretty good. Hey, Luke, I know you're writing down the eyewitness accounts, but can I, Peter's probably like, can, can you just say that I denied him once? <laughs> Wouldn't we? Wouldn't you? Please don't, you know, don't make me look bad. Don't make me look bad. The thing is, they weren't writing a story. They were writing what happened. This is what happened. This is what happened. Yeah, I know it sounds crazy that it was the women, but it was the women. Yeah, I know it sounds crazy there was an angel, but there was an angel. Yeah, I know it sounds terrible that I denied him three times, but I denied him three times. And because you can trust that all those things happened, what happened next? You can trust that these eyewitnesses are not making up some story. Because what happened next was incredible. Luke chapter 24, verse 35, it says, Then the two who were in Emmaus, they told their story of how Jesus had appeared. They ran back and they're telling the disciples, what happened is they were walking along the road and how they recognized him as he was breaking the bread. In verse 36, it says, just as they were telling the others about it, Jesus visits the group, shows up right there, boom. He's standing there and he's like, peace. <laughs> peace be with you. C can you just imagine for a moment what that's like? My kids do it all the time, right? They're hiding around corners, and you walk around the corner, boo right? And they scare them. They get that from me, because I used to do that to them all the time. But it's like all of a sudden he scares them, and it says they were startled. I mean, that's an understatement. Like grieving people sitting around, hearing somebody say, yeah, Jesus is alive. I don't believe that. I don't believe. Boom! 
There he is. And what's their first thought? It's not, oh, he's alive. They're like, it's his ghost. Because it can't, it can't. Yeah, we want that, but it just, it just can't be. I love Jesus' words. He's like, peace be with you. Why are you guys afraid? And they're like, uh, why are you even asking? You should know why we're afraid. It's a ghost talking to us. What, what do you mean, why are we afraid? I can just picture Jesus. He did this to them all the time. They're in a boat. They're crossing the, the water. It's a massive storm. They all think they're going to die. And Jesus, what does he ask them? Why are you so afraid? Because we're drowning. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> I'm with you. Why are you afraid? Okay, but you look like a ghost. He's like, yeah, look at the scars, you know. The fellas, you know, showing off their scars. Look at that, you know. You guys thought you had great fishing scars. Look at this. Put nails right through there. Look at this. Put a spear right in there. Like, still looks like a ghost, Jesus. He's like, okay, fine. Give me a piece of fish. Do ghosts eat? <laughs> ghosts don't eat food. You can tell I'm, I'm alive. Man, what a powerful thought. <laughs> he then asked them, you know why they're afraid? He tells them and proves to them that he is who he said he is. And then he begins to explain that through the scriptures, they should have seen it coming. I love this because he says he opens their mind to understand the scriptures. Through the Old Testament, he kept um, through the prophets predicting that their Messiah was going to come and was going to die and was going to raise from the dead. And they never saw it until these moments. And they realize, okay, he came back from the dead. It is exactly how he said it was going to be. We just didn't believe him before, but we, we believe him now. Luke chapter 24, verse 47 says this. It's also, Jesus saying, it's also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations, beginning in Jerusalem, beginning right here, fellas. There is, this is the message. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. You think it's cool that I'm alive? Well, tell them the rest of the story. I'm alive, and because I'm alive, there's forgiveness for, from sins. And guess what? Verse 48 says, you guys are witnesses of this. What do they mean by that? You've seen it. You've seen me. Now go and tell people you have seen a risen Savior. See, they witnessed a resurrected Savior, and that's what started Christianity. See, there was no Christians on Good Friday. And if there was any followers of Jesus on Good Friday, they were not following anymore. There was nobody who was like, oh man, that sucks. We didn't see that coming. Let's... But his teachings were good. We better, you know, we better try and at least keep his teachings alive. Somebody's got to hear the parable of the Good Samaritan. Like, you know what? Yeah, we, he, he, he didn't make it, but his teachings will survive. They wouldn't even talk about his teachings because all of his teachings kept saying, I'm God, I'm God, I'm God. And God doesn't die. How is this possible? And it's not what they went out and said. A few weeks later, they're running around Jerusalem, and what's their message? <laughs> we saw a risen Savior. We saw Jesus risen from the dead. That was the message they all went and told. And what would give people who were so scared in one moment, who were running away from the temple guard, what would give them boldness enough to a few weeks later just walk out the doors and say, hey, we go to the very same people we ran away from, and they would stand and look them in the face and say, you guys killed him, and you know it. You want to blame it on Pilate, but you know it was you. You killed him, but God raised him from the dead, and we saw him. Now, say your story. Now repent. Repent for the forgiveness of sins. Turn to God. 
And it wasn't just Peter. You know, tonight we talk a lot about Peter, but it wasn't just Peter. Matthew was there. He was one of them. Mark heard the, the words of Peter and joined on and said, yeah, I believe it. I believe it. Luke wrote about what the eyewitnesses said. And he says, the world needs to hear this, not just the Jews. John uh, was an eyewitness. He was there. James, James, the brother of Jesus. I love how Andy says this. James, the brother of Jesus, was not a follower of Jesus when they were brothers and Jesus was alive. And later on, he leads a whole church and he says, Jesus is my Lord. What would your brother have to do for you to call him your Lord? Something happened. Something powerful happened. So often, I think we miss this and we're just like, well, I don't know what to share. I don't know how to share my faith. We just got to come back to what really happened. A man named Paul who was so against the church that risen Jesus changed his life and he didn't have to see him physically for it to happen, which is good news for us. Because they don't have to see him physically. You don't have to see him physically for your life to be changed. But these fearful, scared disciples, the friends of Jesus, were fearless after this event. They were ready to go out and they were like, we're going to go, we're going to go, we're going to go tell the world. And Jesus is like, just hold on. Because I'm going with you, but it's not going to be the same as before. Just wait for Holy Spirit. He's going to be in and with every single one of you. And then you go and you tell the world what you've seen. See, their faith, their trust in God was based on on this um, walk with Jesus. Yeah, we'll follow Jesus. We sort of, we kind of trust him. But we know as we studied the last number of weeks, they waffled. Some days they were like, we're following. And then it's like, oh, the crowd's leaving. Maybe we're leaving too. We don't know, Jesus. This stuff about, you know, eat your flesh, drink your blood seems weird. We, we don't know if we want to keep following. And yet now, nothing could take them out. What, did, what was their faith? What was their trust based on? And my question for you tonight is, what is yours based on? What is your faith in God? What is your trust in God based on? Peter, I want to finish just with a, some stuff that Peter shared <laughs> that was meant for people like you and me. Peter he was executed by Emperor Nero simply for being a Jesus follower. But before he did, he wrote or either probably dictated, dictated his thoughts into two letters, two letters that were sent out to people all over the place. Can you imagine those people as they got those letters? You know, the Pony Express rides in. It's like, hey, I got a letter from Peter for you. Peter? Like the Peter? The Peter sweet and they grab their envelope and they rip it open like everybody's trying to read like back off back off you know i'm i'm gonna read it i'm gonna read it you can't read anyway i'm gonna read it and they're like okay here we go and he begins to read the greetings greetings to all of you in such and such a place and such and such a place and such and such a place just get to the just get to the good part yeah greetings okay let's read and he goes this first peter he says this in chapter in the very beginning verse three peter writes this all praise to god the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He just uses this relational terms. It's like, this is not God somewhere way out there, some angry being in the sky. This is not God, like, like he's writing to places that are all over the Roman Empire, that they worship the gods who were like messing with people's lives and Zeus would strike you and, and uh, you know, Jupiter was like the, this, this massive scary god and, and chaos reigned with these gods. It's like, not, he's like, it's God the Father. There's a relational aspect to it. He says, it's by his great mercy that we've been born again. 
They're like, yeah, we heard those words, right? Something was born on the inside of us. And why do we have this confidence? Why do we know this is true? Because God raised Jesus from the dead. If I was in my letter, I might as well get right to the point. Three verses in, three sentences in, God raised Jesus from the dead. Have no doubt about it. And he says, now we live with great expectation. The other translations use the words living hope. Why, why do we believe this? Why do we believe it, Peter? Why do you believe it? Because he says, Peter would probably have said, the resurrection resurrected my faith. The resurrection resurrected my faith. Because I'm Peter. I'm the one who believed and I follow Jesus. Then he got arrested and I unbelieved. And then I denied that I ever believed. Three times. And I didn't believe. I didn't believe when they said he was alive. And now I re-believe. I re-believe. Why? Because God raised Jesus from the dead. And because of that, I have living hope. I have an expectation unlike any other. Living hope is not a verb. It's a noun. It's something that he has that he can take with him all the time. See, we hope. We have this idea of a verb. Like we hope for something that that might happen in the future. Like we hope the Leafs are going to win the cup. I do. That hope is based on nothing though. Years and years of futility, right? That's, that's the idea, though, that, that our hope, most of the stuff we hope for is based on, oh, something just out of my reach in the future. And he's like, that's not what I'm talking about. I got a hope I carry with me every day. I got a living hope that can't be disappointed, that cannot die. Why? Because it's based on something that already happened. So I'm just going to take it with me that Jesus rose from the dead. My faith, my trust in God is in the fact that he rose a man from the dead. There is no doubt. No doubt. It doesn't matter what happens to me. I have, and he writes that to them. He's like, you, you can have this confident hope because Jesus rose from the dead. Then he says in verse four, and we, who's we? Me and whoever's reading the letter, we have a priceless inheritance. Who gets an inheritance? Children. Yeah, children get an inheritance. He's saying, listen, uh, this, this, is a, this is a relational thing. Children get an inheritance. And then he says this, it's an inheritance that's kept in, in heaven for you. Heaven, Peter. Most people, you know, Peter, Peter did not learn about heaven as a child in Sunday school like most of us did. Because the Old Testament has very little to say about heaven at all. It has very little to say about life after this life at all. And yet, They believed there was something, but they had no idea what it was. There was a group of the Jewish leaders called the Sadducees, and we talked about them a couple weeks ago when they said, Jesus, this this woman married seven guys, and they all died. Who's who's she married to in heaven? Remember that? (laughs) They didn't even believe there was a heaven. They just thought, we just live for the glory of God, and we die, and we're done. We're gone. But Peter's like, no, no, no. There's a heaven. You know how I know there's a heaven? Not because of childhood stories. Not because I saw the movie, Heaven is for Real. Not because, you know, that, that, uh, that's what the pastor said at the last funeral I was at to make us feel better. I believe there's heaven because Jesus, a man who rose from the dead, talked about heaven like he'd been there. And when somebody rises from the dead, I believe whatever they say. <laughs> there's a heaven. There's a heaven, and he says... This inheritance, it's waiting for you there. Why? Because it's pure. It's undefiled. It's beyond the reach of change and decay. Your inheritance is here. 
half of us spent them before we got them. He's like, there? It's waiting for you. It's waiting for you. Verse 5. Through your faith. That word faith means a lot of things to us. But through, basically it says, through your trust in God. He's protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation. Which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So be truly glad, he says. There is wonderful joy ahead. Why does he keep saying this thing of, oh, it's, it's, it's down the road. It's a, little bit, it's a little bit away from now. He says there's wonderful joy ahead. Why? Because he says even though you must endure many trials for a little while. You know, Peter, at one time, doubted God's love and doubted God, <laughs> doubted God's existence, doubted in Jesus when they were going through some trials. Meaning, when Jesus was not alive anymore, like, I don't trust anymore. I can't believe anymore. But something happened to that guy. Because when he writes this letter, he didn't doubt God's love because of pain or sorrow or suffering. He didn't believe in imaginary God in the sky who's a good God who doesn't let bad things happen to good people. He didn't believe in that God because that God doesn't exist. We hear about that. We hear people say, oh, how could, you know, how could a good God allow bad things to happen to good people? Well, he never said that's who he was like. That's never, he never said that's who he was. You know, it's interesting. The first followers, they witnessed and experienced horrible things. Great pain and great suffering, but their faith and their trust never wavered. It was actually strengthened by it. Paul would later write this to the Romans. Romans chapter 8, one of the greatest chapters ever written. He says at the end of it, I'm convinced convinced. I'm not hoping. I don't think this. I am rock solid convinced that nothing. What? What? Nothing. Nothing can separate me from his love for me. (laughs) Not angels, not principalities, not life, not death, not the powers of hell themselves. Not my anxiety about tomorrow. Not my worries for today. Nothing separates me from his love. I am convinced that he loves me. That's Paul. Peter said the same thing. We're convinced of his love. He says in verse 7, these trials, they'll show something. They'll show that your trust in God is actually genuine. That it's genuine. They show that your faith, you know, as a follower of Jesus, it's actually legit. He said, it's, it's being tested. Your trust in God, it's being tested. And it's, and it's just the same as fire tests and purifies gold. The fire doesn't destroy the gold. It purifies it. But your trust in God is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith, when your trust remains strong through many trials, it's going to bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Where's that praise and honor? It's, it's the fact that he says to you, well done, good and faithful servant. <laughs> well done. Yeah, I saw you walking through that tough marriage and continue to trust me. Well done. I saw you stand up at work and say, listen, I'm a Jesus follower. I don't, I, I don't want the stuff that you guys are offering me. Well done. I saw you reach out and love to those people that no one else seems to love. Well done. Well done. He says, I saw the trials that you're going through. Well done. Verse 8. He writes to them, you love them even though you've never seen them. And though you do not see them now, you trust them. You trust them and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. 
And he says the reward for trusting the one who rose from the dead, the one who raised Jesus from the dead, the reward for trusting him is the salvation of your souls. There is an incredible reward for a genuine, rock-solid trust and faith in Jesus. See, the resurrection of Jesus, it changed Peter's life. And that invitation is that the resurrection of Jesus would change yours. That it would become our life. It would reframe the way we do life. Peter, the man who ran from temple guards one night, would walk up to those same temple guards and tell them boldly, you killed him. But God raised him. I've seen him. There is no doubt about it. And he wants you. He wants you to repent of your sin and turn to him and follow him. He wrote it in his letters as well. Man, what makes this guy, <laughs> what makes this guy walk into a place of certain death? What makes him be able to write these letters before Nero takes his, you know, has him crucified upside down? What, what is it? See, when, when you see someone conquer death, there's no longer fear of death. When you know that death is not the end, but it actually goes on beyond this life, that real life is just beyond, there's no need to fear it anymore. So the question for you and me tonight is, what's your faith really based on? Do you have fear of death? We think about it. Does it bother you? Do you wonder about God's love for you because of the stuff that you're going through? Do you feel like, oh, you know, he hasn't answered my prayers. I, I don't think he's real. Does your faith waver? Because Peter said it didn't have to, and here's the reason. He leaves him with this thought, 1 Peter 1, verse 18, 19. Last verses tonight. He says to them, he says to us, he says, you know, you know that God paid a ransom. We're learning in our Roman study that the ransom is, there was a price that had to be paid. You know, uh, in Romans it says that the wages of sin is death. There's a price to be paid for our sin. It wasn't just, oh, hey, snap my fingers and I'll save you. No, something had to die. Someone had to die. And he says, God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. All that pursuit of the pursuit of all the things that we think are going to bring us joy on this planet just leave us empty every single time. He's like, <laughs> you kind of learn that just from growing up and from the being born into that, to that life. But he says, but he rescued you from that. He says, and it was not paid with mere gold or silver. They lose their value. But verse 19, it was the precious blood of Christ. The sinless, spotless and I wonder as he wrote these next words, if he didn't just think back to that moment where John the baptizer was on the, on the shores of the Jordan, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, where John pointed out and says, look, there he is, the Lamb of God who's going to take away the sin of the world. And he sat there thinking, I did not know what that meant then. But after that, and after this, <laughs> I know what he meant. The Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. Verse 21, it says, through Christ, you. Through Christ, you have come to trust in God. To have a rock-solid faith in God. Through Christ, through his death, through his resurrection. It says, you've placed your faith and your hope in him. Why? 
Why did you place your faith? Why do you trust God? You know, is it because he answered your prayers or he gave you a sign or, you know, he paid your bills or whatever it is? Peter's like, none of those things. He's like, the only reason you should trust and put your hope and put your faith in God is this. Because he raised Christ from the dead and he gave him great glory. It doesn't matter what happens now. You can count on, on, on your faith and your trust in God because of what has already happened. Too often, too often we're, we're swayed by what God hasn't done yet. God, why haven't you done this yet? Or God, why haven't you done that yet? And we're swayed by that. My question is always this. He hung on a cross for you. What more does he need to do? When we think about it really, what more does he need to do? I want to leave you with five things. I'm going to throw them up there. They're quick. Take a picture, jot them down. I hope you think about them this Easter because this is what the resurrection means for me and for you and for every person you come in contact with over the next bit who maybe is asking some of these questions. Why do you have trust in God? Why do you have faith in God? Here's why. Because here's what resurrection means for you. Number one, it means this. God is personal. When Peter wrote the letter, he was writing, God is a father. He's a perfect heavenly father. He's personal. He's not some angry, unseen, unspeaking being that may or may not exist. You know, Jesus told us that heavenly father wants you to call him father. He said, when you pray, just start with dad, father. Because that's how he wants you to, to, um, to, to address him, to talk to him, to relate to him. God's personal, he says. Second thing is this, pain and suffering. That's not evidence of God's absence. For so many, that is such a tricky thing. They're like, oh, if there's pain and suffering, then, then, you know, I don't know. And the foundation of their faith is based on this perfect world where bad things don't happen to good people. Can I just tell you something? The first followers of Jesus did not base their faith on that. And you know why? Because they saw something really bad happen to someone really good. And that did not shake their faith afterwards. Here's a thought for you. We know that God is for us. Peter would say it too. We know that God's for us. Not because he answered any prayers, not because of anything like that. We know God is for us. Why? Because Christ died for us. And if you're wondering, is God for me? God is for you because he sacrificed his son for you. Not because things always work out for us. Love that. God is for you. Because Jesus died for you, not because things always work out for you. And if your faith as a Christian has been based on, well, everything's going to work out for me and that's why I serve God, man, I pray that that gets shifted tonight. Shifted tonight. God's personal. Pain suffering's not evidence of his absence. Heaven is real. You can be certain that heaven is real, not just the words of comfort at a funeral, but it's truth because Jesus said, I'm going to make a place for you. And when I do, I'm coming back for you. Heaven is real because of the resurrection. Forgiveness is available. Forgiveness is available. This is the part that bothered the religious leaders the most. Jesus would tell people when they came to him to be healed, he would tell them they're on a mat, you know, laying on a mat, and he would say to them, looking at the Pharisees, ah, fellas, you watching? You listening? Hey, bud. Sins are forgiven. He's like, yeah, but I want to walk. He's like, yeah, but just, just, just wait one second. Your sins are forgiven. And looking over, and their anger, they're like, only God can forgive sins. 
Just picture, you know, he smiles like, I know, and only God can do this too. Come on, stand up. Proving, proving by the miracles that he actually had the authority to forgive sins, to forgive sins, because he knew that he would take the sin of the world on his body that day on the cross, (laughs) that that sin was not his, but that he carried our sin. And the power of sin is death, but because he carried it and it wasn't his sin, death had no hold on him. And he rose up from a grave because sin could not keep him there. Death could not keep him there. Victorious over my sin, over your sin, victorious over death itself. And he says, forgiveness is available to you, but he's calling you to it. And the last thing is this, you are loved by God. You are loved by God. As a Jesus follower, he said to them, my command is for you to go out and love others. Go out and love others. The way that I've loved you. Why? Because you're free to do it now. Once you realize how much you've been forgiven, whatever anybody has wronged you is so minimal compared to that. You are free to forgive them. When you know that you are loved and that God loves every person you stand eyeball to eyeball with, you are free to love them, whether they deserve it in your books or not. That's the mark of the kingdom on you as a true Jesus follower. So what's your faith based on? Is the question tonight. I hope tonight that if you're a Jesus follower, that this, just, that this just stirs up in you the clarity of what our faith is based on and who it's based on and the fact that it is unshakable. That as you go into a world that attacks it like crazy in all of our you know, educational uh, institutions, they attack all these thoughts that, ah, it's fairy tales. You know what? The followers of Jesus did not ask you to believe in a fairy tale. They didn't ask you to believe in an angry God up in the sky like all the other ones that they talked about. They didn't believe you to, to, you know, and to ask you to follow and believe in you know, the God who doesn't let any bad things happen. They didn't ask you to believe in a God who's just going to answer all your prayers and grant you three wishes. They said, we've seen him alive. That has never happened before. We have seen him alive. And because of that, we know that he's the one who God sent. We know he's the one who God sent. And what he said stands true, that he died for my sin, he died for your sin, that he's gone to make a place for us, that you can trust rock solid, that you are forgiven, that you are loved. Oh man, I pray that gets into here and into here, that you walk out of here just knowing those truths so much. Why? Because if John had to say it, he would have wrote it like this. I just want you to know that God loves you so much. I just want you to trust this fact. He loves you so much, he was willing to send his son to pay the price of your sin so that you can be forgiven simply by trusting him and turning to him. The result will change your life here as you follow him and it will result in eternal life and relationship with your heavenly father forever. Jesus would simply say, would you come and would you follow me? Would you come and would you follow me? Tonight, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, you don't know that Jesus. Maybe you've been raised to think, you know, Jesus was on a cross and It's just some sort of religious tradition or whatever. He's alive. Maybe you waffle and think, oh, you know, I don't don't know if I can believe in a God who, you know, I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and my parents still got divorced. You know, I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and they still died. I've gone through so many difficult things. Can I tell you something? He's saying, you know, there's forgiveness for you simply because Christ rose from the dead that you can base your hope and your faith on that, to have a rock solid, (laughs) walking it out, no fear of death, faith that can change the world. and can simply stand on the nail-scarred hands and feet 
of our Savior Jesus. Now we would follow him, his command, his new covenant, his example. So we changed the world. Did it once. No, it can do it again. Can we pray? Father, thank you that we can call you Father. I thank you that you're a good Father, perfect Father. Thanks for loving us, enough to give your Son for us. God, we got it wrong so many times. I'm just grateful that you continue to pick us up. Lord, I just pray for those tonight whose trust in you has been waffling and wandering. As we think about this weekend and we just remember again what you accomplished for us is when you rose from the dead. Holy Spirit, would you help us that that's not just a a mental thought, but that that is a life-changing thing in our hearts that we'd be so aware of how good this news is for our world. (laughs) Help us to take it to the world. Lord, may they see it in us this weekend. May they see you in us this weekend. May our family that we meet up with see the love that we have for them because of you. Lord, as people step out tonight for the first time, say, I'm following you. Would you fill them with your spirit? Would you welcome them into your family? To forgive their sins, change the rest of their lives for eternity. We give you praise for it. And it's in your name I pray. Amen.